breaks the power of sin and darkness. Whose love is mighty and so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder. Well, we have been uh, in this series that we've called God on Stage, and we're looking at basically how various musicals can be an expression or how God expresses himself through various musicals, whether that is laying aside tradition that's no longer helpful in order to experience a greater sense of God's grace, or whether it's the radical hospitality of being a person of grace. You've been so transformed by that grace, you're kind of on the tip of your toes, ready to extend it to other people. In a way, then, last week's message on the, the uh, musical Come From Away is kind of a bridge into this week because we're going to talk more about that grace and how it leads us into a different kind of life. Not just a one-time encounter, though many of us have experienced that and though we're going to look at an expression of that, but an ongoing, great, just kind of adventure of exploring, experiencing God's grace and mercy each and every day and more and more fully being people of grace and mercy, okay? So to be attentive to that word to us today, I'm going to invite you to stand on up, and we're going to hear uh, Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, and then Galatians 4, 1 through 7. And this is Paul, the apostle, talking about two different ways of life that we're going to uncover. In Galatians 3, 10 to 14, it says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that we, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And then in Galatians 4, 1 through 7, what I am saying is this, as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also we were children. We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. This is God's word to us. You can sit down if you'd like. So the foundational truth that we're going to explore today is just this, that every person who encounters God's radical grace can be freed from the curse of the law and redeemed as a child of God. I want to say that again. Everyone who encounters God's radical grace can be freed from the curse of the law and redeemed to live as a child of God. In the musical and films of Les Miserables, there is a primary character named Jean Valjean who has an experience of radical grace. 
He has spent 19 years in prison, in a rock quarry prison, where he's having to, you know, experience hard labor. He's moving big rocks, as we're going to look at. He is finally on parole. And there we will find that he experiences the radical grace of God in the form and expression of the grace that he has experienced through a priest. I believe this mirrors the radical grace and mercy that the Apostle Paul experienced that then led him to write Galatians and talk about this gospel, this good news of freedom. If you recall, in Acts, we are told that Paul, who was previously named Saul, was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, was actually headed to Damascus with letters in hand to put Christians in prison. There on the road to Damascus, he experienced a flash of light, a blinding light, and they heard the voice of Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, who said, who are you, Lord? Who's talking to me here? And he said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And he says, I am going to to show you how much, you know, you're going to suffer, but how much you're going to experience this new life. Now get up and go. Paul, Saul, who becomes Paul, is literally blinded by that light, has to be led by the hand into Damascus. But there he uncovers the dimensions of the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God that is totally different from his previous Pharisaic law-based type of life. The question for Paul is, after that radical encounter with God's grace, what then? Does he go back to simply living the law for a different reason? No. What we find in Galatians is the radical grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God is meant to totally transform the direction of our lives. Instead of living a legalistic, law-based kind of life, we live a life of freedom. Freedom that God has won for us through Jesus. You see, this is a fundamental question about, about faith, and that is, do we have to try to reach God by our own efforts, merits, moral effort? Or do we receive this grace and mercy from God that we'll never earn or deserve and then live in light of it? We're told that this is about how we're justified before God. In other words, how are we made right before God? And what Paul tells us is is the exact opposite of being condemned by God based on the law. Instead, it's an impartation of grace and freedom. But it's also about living a new kind of life. In verse 11 and 12 of Galatians 3, it says, those who live this life will live by this kind of life. He shall gain life. In other words, it's not only a one-time experience of God's grace, it's an eternal kind of life that is imparted to us that we receive and then we live differently as a result. Really, it's about two different roads. A road of trying to live life based on laws and try to live a perfect kind of life on our own strength or ability or to live a life and impart and or depart down the road of receiving God's grace and forgiveness. Also, the question is this. Do we need just a little bit of help in the life, or do we need total help? Do we need to be touched by God's grace one time and then we're good, or do we need to continually be refreshed by the grace of God each and every day? You can guess at my outcome on this one. Every day. We need to receive the grace and mercy of God new and afresh. But many of us have had that encounter of God's radical grace that becomes that turning point, that that pivot point in our lives where our lives were never the same. Paul had that kind of experience on the Damascus Road. And Jean Valjean 
in the musical and the movies, Les Miserables, had a radical experience of God's grace and mercy that transformed him. He has been let out of prison in the scene that we're about to watch. He's looked for a place to receive food and shelter. And so far, much like Mary and Joseph before Jesus is born, there's no room at the inn. He's knocked on doors everywhere and hasn't been received. He's laying on a bench there sleeping the night and, and the lady walks up to him and says, you can't stay here. And he says, and she says, have you tried finding a place? And he says, I've knocked on all the doors. And she looks at the door of a priest and she says, you haven't knocked on that door. Once he knocks on that door, he's welcomed in. He's given a meal that refreshes him. And now we're going to see what happens after that. There, a great exchange took place, right? Jean Valjean's previous life, his sin, his shame, all that he's carried before him, and the offer from the priest, an offer of grace and mercy, a great exchange, his sin for God's grace through the priest. I love the language, Jean Valjean, my brother. In other words, you're now family. You no longer belong to evil. This is about belonging, identity, but now to good. It is your soul that I am buying for you. He's, he's basically giving an opportunity for Jean Valjean to, to be resold, so to speak, to have his core identity refashioned. I withdraw from it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, it says in the book, and I give it to God. I bought your soul back for God. In the book, it says that Jean Valjean was just out of that monstrous, somber place called prison, and the bishop now had hurt his soul as too vivid a light would hurt his eyes coming out of the dark. The future life, the possible life offered him, all pure and radiant, filled him with trembling and anxiety. He no longer knew where he was. It was so disorienting. Like an owl seeing the sun suddenly rise, the convict had been dazzled and blinded by virtue. One thing was certain, though. He did not suspect it, that he was no longer the same man, that all was changed in him, that it was no longer in his power to prevent the bishop from having talked to him and having touched him. His life was forever new. When did that and how did that happen for you? Maybe it was progressive, an ongoing experience of God's grace and mercy. Maybe it was a, a critical pivot point, a turning point in your life where you knew God loved you and cared for you in a, a new or fresh way. Some of us have been living a law-based life our entire lives and have never experienced that grace of God. Perhaps it was through, uh, you know, relationships with teachers, coaches, parents. We've been always trying to please someone or be accepted by someone, and we've never received that. And it's bound us and shackled us our entire lives. Others of us may have had a radical experience of God's grace and mercy, and you had that fresh new start. But based on our human inclination towards pride and self-centeredness, we went back to a law-based kind of life. Yeah, thank you, God, for, for forgiving me for the past, but now I've got this on my own, thanks. I can do it from here. I don't need any help. But what the gospel tells us is that we have total need and we need total help, and God provides it. 
God did that through the sending of his son, Jesus, born of a woman. So being a human being, born under the law, Jesus lived a law-based kind of life, but he lived it perfectly and fully in God's honor and glory. And he ultimately was crucified for us, taking on the curse of the law that we and our sins deserved and taking it upon himself so that the grace of God would be clearly portrayed. Much like a musical put on stage for all to see. The new life that he is invited in, invites us into, the new life that Jean Valjean had was one of a transformation of identity. If we look back at Galatians 2, Paul said, I have, been, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, we find this intimate connection with the amazing expression of God's love for us on the cross and our identity has changed. We experience this great exchange. In being in identifying with Christ's death, we're given a new life. It's not a life then of trying to earn that grace or mercy. It's about receiving that grace and mercy and allowing it to permeate our lives, the rest of our lives. The question really is, again, how do we make, get right with God and how do we experience that sense of completion that we all long for? And Paul says in verse 3 of, of, of uh, chapter 4 that we need to experience the epitaleo, this, this ultimate sense of completion through God's delivering of us from a law-based life into a new freedom. In this, we give up all our projects of personal effort. We give up all those attempts to earn or deserve God's favor on our own. And instead, we receive the price of our forgiveness through the death of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, you are bought at a price. In Acts 20, 28, it says, you are bought with his own blood. In other words, God has expressed grace and mercy for you, and he threw in the candlesticks as well. He gave us all through Jesus. And you will never deserve it. But what you can do is now live your life in light of it. In Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for you in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not when we cleaned up ourselves, got our act together, and then God said, oh, they're doing pretty good. I'm going to give them forgiveness for the rest. No. It's about a total transformation of life where Jesus took on the curse for us. You see, as far back as Deuteronomy 20, 23, early part of the Bible, it says, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There was a, there was a curse that came from, from, from being put to death. And Jesus ultimately would be put to death by, by being hung on the cross on a tree. And in that, he took the curse of the law on himself so that we could be forgiven. Another part of Romans, it says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith in Christ apart from observing the law. The, the, the now we live by faith in light of God's grace and mercy. Jesus invites you into a different kind of life where we are forgiven and set free and then we live in light of that. You see, friends, the encounter that we have with the radical grace of God frees us from the curse of the law, from trying to fulfill the law in our own strength. Paul says, all who seek to rely on observing the law for their salvation are under a curse. 
and that they are cursed because they do not do everything written in the book of the law. He goes on to say we are clearly not justified by God as a result of our works. In other words, if we say that we're going to be justified, be made right with God by our own works, we have to live it all out. We have to do that 100% of the time. And Paul is clear, and the gospel is clear, that none of us can do that. All fall short of the glory of God. And what happens, too, objectively is, yeah, we, we can't make it on our own. We can't earn or deserve God's grace. And so, therefore, you know, we need to receive it, not try to live for it. But also what happens if we live a law-based kind of life, there is constant anxiety. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough to gain that person's attention or affirmation? And instead of trying to please people or earn other people's favor, we now get to receive God's favor and through what was done in Christ and then live a grace-filled kind of life. The two different paths or roads that are presented before us are best depicted in the parable of the prodigal son. There in Luke 15, there's a younger son who who goes away from the father and lives a wild life, but then comes to his senses. And remember in the parable, it says he's coming back and he's got the speech prepared. Like, you know, father, I've sinned against heaven against you. You make me like one of your hired slaves. But what does the father do in the parable? He says, I want you back as a slave. I got slaves. I want you back as a son. And he wraps him up in the robes of grace and he feeds him like the priest fed Jean Valjean. He extends grace and mercy to him and that younger son's life is made new. And that's the invitation for you in the gospel is to trade in all those attempts at trying to earn God's favor on your own and allow what Jesus has done to be the source of that favor and the source of your identity. The problem is, in the parable of the prodigal son, there are really two lost sons, aren't there? There's the younger son who goes away, sins, falls short, you know, comes back, but he received God's forgiveness. Sadly, there's also the older son, and I think we've got Rembrandt's uh, Return of the Prodigal Son painting, which you guys know is my favorite. You see the younger son, worn and weary down by sin, but receiving the father's affirmation and blessing. But then on the right, there's the older son who's looking down in disapproval. And that's the son who has tried their whole life to earn the father's favor by good works, by by being obedient. And the sad thing is he's even more lost now than the younger son. And some of us, though we had an encounter with God's grace and mercy, though we're following Jesus, are living an older son kind of life. We're still trying to earn God's favor through our own effort, through our own moral goodness. And what happens when we're doing that is often it leads to experiences of great brokenness where we are reminded once again that there's no way we can do it on our own, that by trying to observe the law, we're always going to fall short and we miss out on the freedom of forgiveness. The imitation of Les Miserables and Jean Valjean's life is compared to the inspector Javert's life is to live in light of grace instead of the law. And this is at the core of the gospel. 
Romans 3, 20 through 22, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. That's the purpose of the law, making us aware of our need for grace. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known as the law and the prophets testify. This is nothing new. This is the unfolding of God's plan and purpose all along. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Friends, it's a gift. The giving of the silver, the giving of the candlesticks, the giving of grace and mercy. In Galatians 2.16, similarly, it says, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, have, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one is justified. C.S. Lewis depicts this well in Mere Christianity where he sets up the fundamentals of the good news of the gospel of Jesus where he says, you know, we all have this sense of the moral law of right and wrong. But the moment we acknowledge that understanding of right and wrong, we break it. We all do things that go against our, our primary values. We all do things that depart from our sense of the meaning and purpose and the, what is good in life. It's not just Christians. It's all people. People set up a moral code, this is what's right and this is wrong, and I believe we have that internally created in us from God. But the moment we acknowledge that, right and wrong, we break it. And that's what underlines our need for God's grace and to live in light of that grace. As I said in the film and in the musical, there's a great juxtaposition between Jean Valjean, his experience of grace, and then his living out of grace, in the life of Inspector Javert. Javert was a, a guard in the prison that Jean Valjean was in in Toulon, and, and he had this experience with Jean Valjean that kind of marked him. He, he saw him each day. He, he knew what kind of person he thought Jean Valjean was. But Javert is this law-based individual as a guard, and he goes on to be an inspector, and later there's a reconnection between the two. And Javert realizes who Jean Valjean was, And he believes that that that's the person he still is. That nobody can be changed through grace. That we are what we are for the rest of our lives. Then at one point in the, in the, the, the musical, Jean Valjean shows Javert grace. And Javert, who has lived a law-based life his entire life, does not know what to do with it. And it leads to this crisis of faith, so to speak, for Javert, his faith being in the law and him living a law-based life and what to do with the grace and forgiveness that Jean Valjean has shown him and which Javert is, is encountering. I invite you to see this following clip. I love the freedom there. You see that smile on his face, knowing that he's free? The gospel is depicted in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You are no longer bound then to live a life of slavery. When we experience the radical grace of God, when we are freed from the curse of the law, we are redeemed and given the full rights of sons and daughters who, who have the Holy Spirit within us. We have that reminder of our identity that God wants us to experience each and every day. It's a movement out of a life of slavery. And, and in the Jewish 
world and, and law, when you're a young child, you, you really don't yet have the rights of sons or daughters. You're under the guardian of the law, so to speak, the trustees of the father or the son. But then as you grow, you experience full adoption as sons or daughters. The Spirit is, is given to us as followers of God to remind us of that identity so that we don't go back to a law-based kind of life. And when we cry out, Abba, Father, it's that heartfelt cry of our identity, knowing that there is one who loves us and cares about us. But unless we remember this, we will always fall back into times of anxiety and despair, worry and fear. And we don't have to do that anymore. The radical grace that Jean Valjean encountered from the priest transformed his life. And my hope and prayer for you is that the radical grace of God has transformed your life. Being claimed by the priest for the grace of God gives and empowers Jean Valjean to do that for others. He primarily does that for Cosette, the orphan daughter of Fontaine, who he takes on as his own. He frees people like a a gardener named Lafitte, an ordinary laborer who becomes trapped underneath a cart and who is rescued and then given a new job, one that later creates a space or place for Jean Valjean to be rescued in his time of need. And eventually, Jean Valjean would sacrifice himself for a young man named Marius, the love interest of that Cosette. There, he sacrifices himself, and it's like him giving the candlesticks so that she can be set free. Friends, remember that smile on Jean Valjean's face as he walks away this week. Remember that it is for freedom that you have been set free and live out that great invitation to live by faith in God's grace for you and not be bound by a yoke of slavery. I invite you to continue to ask yourselves this week or in each moment, am I living like a slave who's got to earn God's favor or am I living out my identity as a son and daughter who's already received God's favor and therefore is empowered to offer that to others. So may we rest in the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God and the spirit that reminds us of that. I invite the worship team to come on up, and uh, we're going to sing about that need of our grace, of the grace and mercy of God to allow that to rest on us and to change us. Amen.